Welcome to Practical Christian Living. There are hundreds of thousands that are martyred every year. Let's not forget our brothers and sisters in Christ in many Muslim areas who, who make a commitment to Jesus and it costs them their lives. Over 100,000 a year are killed because they have become Christians in Muslim worlds. As we openly carry our Bibles to church, worship in public with fellow believers, wear our scripture graphic tees declaring our love for Christ, may we be grateful for every opportunity we have to freely and publicly express our faith. And may we remember and pray for other Christ followers around the world who have paid the ultimate price for making that same decision to follow Jesus. May we have that type of courage and commitment in our walk. Here's more from Hebrews chapter 10 with Robert Furrow. It's interesting to me that the first martyr of the church, Stephen, who's one of the early deacons in the church, that when he was being stoned, it says that they saw his face as a face of an angel. And he looked up to heaven and he said, I see the Son of Man standing by the right hand of the Father. Jesus stood up to receive that first martyr of the church. And I think speaking of every martyr that has been martyred since, and there have been millions over the years. And so he was seated by the right hand of God from that very time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he was perfected forever. Those with all being sanctified, but the Holy Spirit also witnessed to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, says the Lord, that I will put my laws in their heart and in their minds, and I will write them. Then he added, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is a remission of these things, there is no longer an offering for sin. So once again, he quotes the passage out of Jeremiah where God will give us a new heart and God says, I will remember your sins no more. And I think it's great that he remembers our sins no more because I can't forget my sins. Someone asked me one time, shouldn't we be able to forget our sins? Well, that'd be ultimately nice. As I get older, I guess I am forgetting more and more of them. But along with that forgetting could come a little bit of, of a lack of humility as well. But God remembers our sin no more. I love that Chuck Smith, when he would talk about that, would say, therefore, it's good for us not to do it again and remind him of it. That's what Chuck would say. If God doesn't remember our sin, then let's not do it again and remind him that we've done that sin. But the sacrifice was so complete with Jesus that the Bible says that God has put our sins behind his back. God has deliberately put them away from himself. When you think of yourself as a person that God doesn't want to interact with because of your sin, because of your shortcomings, because of your failures, you are not really seeing yourself the way that God sees you. He sees you as his child, purchased by him, redeemed by him. Your sin separated from you as far as the east is from the west and sins put behind your back where he remembers them no more. Verse 19 then says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, 
and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What a passage. It tells us quite a few things. Verse 19 again, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. In the earthly tabernacle, this is only a shadow of the heavenly temple. There's a holies of holies here and there's a holies of holies in heaven. And Jesus is the only one that entered in once with his blood and that was it. And now we can enter into the holy place. We are so right. We are so made clean. The forgiveness of God is so complete that we can enter into the holiest of all. It also tells us here that it's by the blood of Jesus with the new and living way he consecrated us through the veil that is his flesh. Now we learn that that veil that separated the holy place from the holiest of holies in the tabernacle was a type of Christ and that it is his flesh that has become a veil because he became flesh. Now we can go into the holiest place of all. And when Jesus died on the cross, do you remember what happened to that veil? The Bible tells us there was an earthquake and that veil was torn from top to bottom. And now we see it even clearer that the veil, his flesh, was torn on the cross so that we could enter into the holies of holies. That's what it's for. So we can have that direct access to God and be bold. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience with our bodies washed with pure water. That is that God has done a work inside of us that he has made us pure, that he has made us holy, and we can go boldly before the throne. Then he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now remember, this is the application chapter. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Stop wavering. Stop trying to go back to the law. Hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Then 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And so here this passage tells us that we are not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. There's something that is very important to us about church. And I think we learned the real importance of church over, well, I'll just call it 2020 for the sake of those who are listening to this in the future. In 2020, we learned the importance of church. I remember the Friday that we decided to close down the church. We had just had our pastor's conference. Some people at the pastor's conference had gotten sick. And we had decided if it's COVID, and I think it ended up not being COVID, but if it's COVID, what can we do? We don't know how many people were exposed. We had people from all over the place that are leaders of pastorship conference. We had over a thousand people here from all around the world, United States and world at our leaders of pastors conference. And I remember talking to Jonathan Alameda, who's one of our assistant pastors. Troy was out of town and I kept going, no, we're going to meet. No, we're not going to meet. No, we're going to meet. No, we're not going to meet. And then finally saying, okay, we're not going to meet. And what a heavy moment that was that we were not going to gather together for church. We had people stand out in the parking lot and when people came driving up, which was not many people, by the way, and we would tell them out of an abundance of caution, we're not having church this weekend. 
And we would have people say to us, or a lack of faith, one of the two. No, out of love. But God's desire is for us to gather together. That's God's desire. I realize that this is still going on for some people. And I realize there are some that still are vulnerable and you're still not assembling yourself together. And I'm certainly not going to tell you that you need to assemble yourself together now. But it is important for us to gather together. And there will come a time when all of that is restored. There are churches that made the decision to meet and to not follow the guidelines. And I'll just say of those churches, you know what, we're free. I, I don't want to judge them. We did what we felt was necessary. They did what they felt was necessary. We each have to answer to God, and that's what the important thing is. I heard of a church that just now began to meet together. Again, I'm not going to judge them. They're doing what they really feel is best, and God is the one who is their judge, right? However, this is so important. But not just this, not just coming to church, not just attending, not just walking through the doors and sitting down, but taking the opportunity to get to know one another. If going to church and sitting down and then getting up and leaving were enough to fulfill it, I don't think it would be said this way. Verse 24 again, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of yourself together. He didn't say, and let us not forget to take up space in a chair once or twice a week. No, to consider one another and stir up love and good works. And that takes fellowship. That takes getting to know people. And I want to encourage you to get to know people. It means being vulnerable. I, I understand that. The more people we know, the more chance we have of getting hurt. And I wish I could tell you that Christians never hurt people or Christians never say anything wrong, but I can't tell you that. It's just not true. But the Bible does say love covers a multitude of sins. And as we get together and stir one another and make up that fellowship, there's something very powerful that happens. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some. Some are in the process of doing that. And let me just say to you, I would assume it's not you guys. I assume I'm preaching to the choir right now because we don't have a choir. You guys are the choir. And you guys are in church on Wednesday night. But maybe some of you that are watching online and maybe some of you that have attended tonight. You know, God sometimes sends people to church on a specific day to say a specific thing to them. It's a manner of some to neglect the fellowship. We're not meant to do that. We're meant to have koinonia. We're meant to interact. We're meant to love one another. We're meant to get to know one another. Not forsaking the assembly together is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I heard someone say today that I don't know what day he's talking about, my response is, I do. He's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. He's talking about that day when we will meet him in the air. Have we forgotten that the Bible says that? You know, there are people who are post-trib and there are people who are mid-trib. But the early church fathers taught that Jesus could return at any moment. They will say that the pre-tribulation rapture was never taught by any church father. Mm. They believed Jesus could return. And they taught to be ready because you don't know when he's going to come. And you don't believe that. Read Matthew 25 where he says over, Jesus gives all kinds of different examples. Be ready, be ready. You could say, well, this was written before the, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. It was 2,000 years ago. So we're closer today than they were. <laughs> we aren't supposed to know. 
And let me go ahead and get on the other side too. Stop setting dates. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. We're, we're, we're in for more of it. You guys realize that, don't you? We're in for more of it. Why would I say that? Because Jesus was crucified somewhere around 32. Subtract seven years from 32 and you get 25. If he's crucified in 33, you get 26. Get ready. I'm telling you the truth. Get ready. Because the date setters are coming and they're going to be heavy. But when the Bible says no one knows the day or the hour, it's using the day in the metaphorical sense. Because they'll always say, I'm not setting a day, I'm just setting the week. <laughs> Stop. Stop. You guys remember, you guys ever read of the Great Disappointment? The Great Disappointment was 1844. So people had taken that passage out of um, Daniel, which is a really weird passage. It says, blessed are those who make it to the, you know, 3,000 whatever days and those who make it to these days and it adds numbers up. Well, they took those days, they turned them into years, they added them up and they got 1844. And they taught that Jesus was coming back again. So many people believed it, they sold their houses. Which I don't know, why, why would you sell your house? They sold their houses and went and spit the money. I know, why would you? If you believe Jesus is coming back, the last thing you're going to do is party. Let's go sell our house. Let's go on vacation. Right? I don't understand it. I don't understand the mindset that was there. But Jesus didn't come back in 1844. Some people reset dates. Some people said that he came back secretly, Seventh-day Adventists, right? To the, the heavenly sanctuary, that the sanctuary that was going to be cleansed wasn't the earthly sanctuary, but it was the heavenly sanctuary. But Jesus said, if they tell you that I come back in secret, don't believe them in Matthew 24. So when they tell me that, I say, well, Jesus told me not to believe you. So should I believe you or should I just go ahead and listen to Jesus? Don't set dates. Don't set dates. If you're listening to me, don't set dates. Stop it. Cut it out. And if you're listening to this in years from now, don't set dates because there'll always be something else happening that will cause people to set dates. Don't set dates. But don't neglect that Jesus could come back tonight. Is your, is your lamp filled with oil? Are you one of the five virgins who weren't ready? What did Jesus say to the five virgins? When they came to the door, let us in. We had to go to the store and buy. And he said, I never knew you. I never knew you. So not having their oil meant that they didn't know him. Do you know him? Are you ready? If your master comes back today, are you ready? Even more so. Let's gather together even more so as that day approaches. By the way, 2 Peter says that a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years to God. So we say, well, it's been 2,000 years and God goes, two days. But God desires that all would be saved and all would come to the knowledge of the truth and that's why he's waited as long as he's waited. All right. Let me see if I can get through the rest of this. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. All right, I am going mean, to finish here. We'll pick it up and we'll, we'll cover more of this verse, but I won't just leave you off because I said we were going to talk about this verse a little bit. So let me just give a conclusion talking about this verse and we'll pick up the rest of the chapter next week. We got to take this in context. The willing sin is apostasy. The book of Hebrews is that these guys have been walking with Christ, but they are apostatizing and going back into Judaism. And we might call that a strong word, but it's apostasy. The warning here is not for those of you that have knowingly sinned. Although if you have, then repent. 
And don't keep unforgiven, unrepented sin in your life. There are other passages for that. That's not this passage. This passage is for those of you here who have walked away from Christ, who have apostatized. Maybe you followed Jesus for a little while, but then you went back to your old lifestyle. You were like, you know, this is just, I, I'm going to go back to what feels good to me, what feels comfortable to me. Maybe you went back into religion and walked away from a relationship with Christ. That would be the apostasy. The willful sin that they are committing is going back into Judaism, even though they know that Christ gave the sin once and for all. The willing sin would be a guy that was carrying his goat up to the, the, ta the temple door and saying, this is my sin offering. Let's listen to what it goes on to say about it. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. That sacrifice, that goat you're bringing to them is not a sacrifice for your sin. Neither is the blood of Jesus Christ a sacrifice for you. He says, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses's law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified as a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. Do you see, by going back to the sacrifices before, they were trampling the blood of Jesus Christ underfoot. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord it will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. The warning towards these people who are going back into Judaism is it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, I believe that this is why the temple was destroyed. It was fading away already and people were going back to it. And it was destroyed so God could stop that temptation for people to return back to it once again. But those who believe that they can be saved by keeping Judaism instead of Christianity or keeping the law, what is available at the law instead of Christianity are doing the same things these guys are doing here. He says in verse 32, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, remember the beginning, remember when you began to see Christ and you were illuminated. You engaged a great struggle and suffering. It cost you something. Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. You joined Christians who were suffering. That's something, quite frankly, that most of us haven't experienced. Not where we live. In certain parts of the world, they are. He goes on to say, for you had compassion on me in my chains. That's why some people believe that this is Paul. Because Paul wrote prison epistles and Paul would talk about his chains from it. But other Christians were arrested in the first century too. So it's hard to say just because he says chains, it's Paul. And then he goes on, a joyful and joyful accepted the, and joyfully expect, uh, <laughs> accepted the plunder of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourself in heaven. They had suffered giving up their things. They had lost finances. They had lost stuff because of their relationship with Christ knowing that they had a better reward in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Boy, that's what we need. We need endurance. I know a lot of people that have 
walked with Christ for a little while and then walked away. I know people that get very excited for God for a year, then they're no longer following him. And then it says in verse 37, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and not tarry. The day will come when the trumpet will sound and we will meet the Lord in the air and we will forever be with the Lord. Now, the just shall live by faith. Again, sounds very much like Paul again. Once you get to the end of this letter, it starts sounding like Paul. For the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, remember, that's the topic of this. Don't draw back. My soul has no pleasure in him. He's, he's quoting the scriptures here. If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition. The word perdition means waste. If you draw back and go back to the law, it's a, it, you've wasted your life. We are not those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And now he's going to go into faith. It is by believing that we enter into a relationship with God. Now let me sum up by saying this. If we sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. May that never cease to scare you. And may you never walk around willingly sinning. And if you've got a lifestyle of sin, then repent today. Repent now. Turn away from it. But the real warning of that is to apostates. And if you're listening to this and you used to walk with Christ and you're no longer, that's your warning. Go back and read it. That's what the warning is for. You say, but I was saved. I once saved, always saved. I, I don't know anybody who teaches that. I don't know the best once saved, always saved teacher out there doesn't teach that. They teach if you walked away, that you walked away because you were never really part of them. The person who believes once saved, always saved, the strongest will say you're not saved if you walked away. And the Arminianist who believes that you got to be born again, 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 again is going to believe that you got to be born again, again. They'll say the same thing. That's why I say that the argument, the one saved always argument is a, is a useless argument. I'm not saying it's a useless issue. I'm not saying the, the principle of being once you're saved, genuinely saved, you're always saved. I'm not saying that's not an important principle and issue. I'm saying the argument of once saved, always saved is a useless argument because the person that's away from Christ, both sides say he's away from Christ. There's nobody. The only way you'll know that he was with Christ is if he comes back. That's it. Everybody stands the same. So if you're an apostate, this message is for you. I've gone way too long. Stand with me, would you? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be able to look at this passage and to be spoken to by what it says. And may we not willfully sin. May we not think it's okay for me to go out and do this thing. And may there be a conviction on those that are here now that are planning sin, that are willfully sinning in their lives. May they repent from it. And if there are those that have repented, may they repent from it now because we know that this verse isn't talking about them because there still remains a sacrifice for sin. But for those that have apostatized, that, that once walked with you and are no longer walking with you, if they walk away, at least at the very least, it's a sign that they never really had a commitment with you. And so, Lord, we ask you to draw us near to you and let us walk with you in, in holiness and purity. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse -verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you. And His Word is life-changing. 
If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to dig deeper in your walk with God? Then you are a great fit for REACH College with enrollment opportunities. To attend as a student or an auditor, the courses challenge you to analyze your way of thinking as you grow in your walk with Jesus. Find out more at thereachcollege.org. That is thereachcollege.org.